Hey guys, what's up? And welcome back to episode 49 of That Scale RC Show. I'm your host, Adam, and we're going to do it a little differently. So we got Jay and Travis Kendall both on, uh, as I screw that whole intro up, but we'll keep rolling. Um, how was your guys' weekend? It was Memorial Day. It was Memorial Day. It was memorable. Memorable. That's yeah. It was. I mean, it was really low key. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I worked on trails. No. Adam, how was your weekend? Uh, it was all right. We I was still up in Auburn, um, because I worked up there last week and did a little shopping because it's a little more normal up there versus down here in the Bay Area. So did a little shopping and then, uh, actually Memorial Day on Monday, I ended up uh, washing both my trucks. And Michelle's Jeep because they were all dirty. So that was my exciting you weekend. And of course, party animal. Yeah, and of course, it's got it got a lot hotter. So in like I want to say the span of because I want to say Friday it was like 80 degrees up there. By Monday it was like 104. That's too much. So I was like, that's what I said. I said this is ridiculous. So. Yeah, we got like a little heat wave going on, but we do too up here. It was actually pretty warm today. Yeah, and the best part is they say it's supposed to rain again on Saturday. Dude, it dumped rain the other night, like Monday morning, Sunday night, Monday morning. Oh my god, it was a downpour. Yeah, it was going pretty good. I was around two o'clock when the sun's out. It gets really hot for us at work. And, you know, we, we have to wear masks at work, you know, and so your face starts to get really, really, uh, like, moist underneath your mask right around that time. He said so, moist. And then you go outside. I said moist. And you go outside, and you should take the thing off, and you look up, and the sky is just as blue as it can be, and it's hot as hell. And you're just like, man, I wish I was somewhere else than here today. Oh, I feel that your time pain. of year. I feel your pain. We, uh, I was at the our big job up in Woodside yesterday, and uh, we had to do the whole song and dance, temperature, wear the face mask, and it's just not fun being in a building that's not insulated because it's still just rough, or rough framing, um, having to deal with all the heat, and you're constantly like trying to pull it down to get air, and it's like, uh, yeah, not fun. All of that sounds stupid. Yeah, it's very stupid. But <laughs> we drove a drag car this weekend. Oh yeah, how was that? Our drag car actually. We we drove a lot, but we got to drive ours, and we made some pretty good headway. I'm pretty happy with it. I can say this though: the DR10. Um, one mm -hmm. of our buddies bought one and i put a, a tekken rs pro and a five and a half turn in it and oh my goodness that car was fast but more than that it was super easy to drive that thing was so forgiving like it wasn't super dodgy or anything and you didn't like overcorrect real easily like it, it was just straight as narrow it was such a forgiving car to drive it was pretty cool by no means was it the fastest car there, but it was capable of winning any race it was in. Yeah, it it was so consistent. Yeah, and he had the so wrong size pinion too. Like the next day, he went from a eighteen to a twenty or twenty one, and that made a noticeable 
difference. So he needs like a tw- 22 or 23. Yeah. Between that and having a real radio, honestly, I think that would make some big differences. Like I know, like he was using the Fly Sky, and which I know, like has, has worked plenty well for you guys. But it, like I'm holding my M12 and then going over to that radio, it's crazy the disconnect that I felt with the Fly Sky. Hmm. Like I felt like even if you have something like. Even as something like a, a Futaba like three channel, mm-hmm. like just something like kind of basic. Honestly, I feel like you'd feel so much more connected to the car. It'd probably be even better. Yeah, I bet. I think it'd feel even better than it was truthfully. Yeah, probably. I was super impressed with that thing though. Like that is a competitive car. It's by yeah. It's by no no it, means a turd. It absolutely defied the stigma of like this thing sucks out of the box, and you you know I mean obviously like. Like, like we've touched on before, and I talked about it quite a bit on my show this week, too. Like, you, you can't expect an RTR car to come out and win, you know, a cash race exactly the way it comes, right? You're going to change electronics, and you have most likely your own batteries anyway, so you're going to put your own batteries in it. But, like, like I suspected, you change just those things. You can leave everything else on it exactly the way it comes. And it is a seriously good car, just exactly the way it Yeah, goes. the stock tires weren't junk. Like, the stock tires actually worked really well. No, the stock tires were great. The car was super stable. So the chassis tune it came with, even just transplanting a 5.5 directly to it, it, it really, really surprised me. Like, I, I, I knew it was going to be good. I knew that people were not giving it the credit it deserved because of the unrealistic expectations people had for it right out of the get-go. But what I was seeing was no one was really giving the car a proper chance by just changing, changing it to proper electronics. And we, I mean, it was it was proven to us on a fairly low grip surface that that thing, without a lot of effort, can be a really good car. So, like, if you were on the fence before. This should convince you, and hopefully some video soon will convince you of that as well. Yeah, that thing was rad. Ours is making some progress. It was really fast. I couldn't like I wasn't as consistent with ours as I was the DR10, but it was still super fun. By the end, by the end of Sunday, like that evening, that thing was working really, really well. So it was pretty fun, and I think at the throttle EPA was at eighty six percent, and I was able to get full throttle pulls out of it on that slippery ass surface. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, eighty six seemed to be my sweet spot with it. I tried. I tried some passes at 88 and 90, and it was just a little too much. At 86 seemed to be the absolute most I could push out of it. To where, like, I'm sure, you know, out of every couple runs, running it at a higher EPA, it probably could have made it, but it's not exactly consistent. But the car felt really solid and consistent at 86. So I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I don't, I don't want to mess with the power band anymore. The car is clearly fast. It was very fast. So now it's just kind of figuring out ways to make the car a little bit more consistent. Because, like, I was talking about, like, it, I talked about this before. I don't know if it was on here, but, like, you still have to drive these cars. Like, it's not as, like, a plug-and-play thing. And I know that it's not just us because, like, I've seen so many videos of people doing this now and... You know, people have trouble getting them to launch straight or getting them the track or having it be consistent. I mean, we just had a big race in southern Washington 
um, which was like the Pacific Northwest Street Kings cash race that they did. I think uh, I think winner took home like six hundred bucks, and it was like twenty dollars an entry, so pretty good. And um, our, our buddy uh, Steve Pangolinen won that race, and. I, I watched the finals and uh, Raven, who was who who lost, who came second. Uh, I mean, it just just like all the other videos I'd seen in that race that day, they were also having trouble keeping cars straight. So, like, I know it's not an issue unique to us, and it's like that. Like the first, you get about ten feet, or maybe five to ten feet after launch, and then it's like the next twenty feet after that are kind of tricky. Like once you nail yeah. those, the rest of the run seems to come really easy. Like that's the that was the part that I noticed that that we had the most work to do. And I'm starting to see that out of a lot of people as well. Yeah. Because that's the point where you really try and start applying that power band. That 5.5 five has some legs. Uh, those are my thoughts. That was probably one of the most impressive yeah. things to the me. The electronics are crazy. Dude, it just pulls yeah. and pulls the and pulls. Yeah. Yeah, super fun. Depending on the lane that you were in, you really had to change where you applied your power because, like, I noticed, like, if I was right lane where the, the terrain is not quite as as consistent, we, we saw, well, while I was out there, actually, it was a, when I was doing one of the hits Saturday night, there was a little bump towards the end. And on one of these runs where I was, like, I was really starting to feel feel it with this thing, I was starting to get really confident, so I was applying a lot more power throughout the run. And... I I really dug into the throttle right as I hit one of these bumps, and the car actually took off on me and kited. And it was a good kind of four foot flip after that, and just started <laughs> t- started tumbling. Yeah, and it was so it's like then you have that element into it. It's like okay, well now I now I have to be worried that this thing's going to take off on me. And I've heard people like Tim talk about this before where this is an issue they've been trying to remedy depending on what kind of body we have. Like the that octane body that we have on it is is really cool. But I'm hoping that the bodies start trending narrower because those things are wide and it catches so much air under. I almost wonder if it could benefit from like an underbody of some sort. Yeah. Makes me wonder. Could be. So so a trick that I was told, but I know it takes away the scale I guess, look or aspect of the car. Um, when I was going to one of our first um, drag nights that uh, we hosted, um, I showed up. I showed a picture of my car on social media, and uh, one of the SoCal guys got a hold of me and said that, you know, especially trucks, but uh, some of these bodies, they act like a parachute because there's so much mass underneath there. They said uh, cutting vent holes helps keep it from getting too much air underneath like so that's why like i don't know if anyone's ever noticed this but like that's why if you see some of these drag cars like posted up on instagram or facebook or wherever that like sometimes there's like slits or holes in the back of the body to kind of help letting the air through so it's not gonna try and lift it up off the ground that makes sense i also noticed that that tim was running the splitter for a little while which some people seem to have an issue with, but I don't really understand why. But I could see that. I was under the impression 
granted, I guess it's not an official rule change, so it's just pure speculation at this point. But as I understood it, that the uh, the next time they refresh NPRC rules, there's going to be a lot of clarification, a lot as far as the arrow modification that can be allowed. Um, because like it, it's kind of a weird subject right now because there are some people who are running these cars that are running. I mean, like there's the scale factor, but like there's some cars out here that that the bodies that people are running, I mean, they just straight up look like pro-mod drag cars. Like, they don't even look anything close resembling a street outlaw, but as it's defined right now, they seem to be legal. So, like the, like I said, Steve's body at that race in, in Vancouver, that body looked like a whole third bigger than any of the bodies we're using in, in no prep right now. Like, the wing is huge on it. So I like had to sit there and think. I was like, well... Okay, like, well, then how does this really work? So I, I'm i waiting, I guess, to see what the clarifications are going to be about all that. I know they've talked about it a little bit in the past, but obviously until the rules are changed, I mean, it's not not a whole lot use planning for it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, I guess the best question is, did you have fun? Oh yeah. yeah, it's way fun. It I I was hooked, yeah. definitely hooked after doing it. Well, then that's all that matters. Yeah, it it's a good time, dude. Yep. I really enjoy it. So with the topic of drag talk, I'm only gonna throw this out there. Tyler's probably gonna hate me for it, but I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I don't know if it was him or his wife that um, somehow came up with these tall black socks but they say his instagram name on him it says at um drag uh what is it drag talk. rc drag talk rc drag talk see i was going to confuse it with that scale rc show or that drag talk but one of them you're in on like one. you're in the scale rc one and the other one you aren't and so that'll help keep track <laughs> yeah dude it's like there's so much it's just, no, no, what's funny is all the names start getting, like, confusing because they're all so close. But um, RC Drag Talk, um, and they're pretty cool. So I don't know if he's going to make them available, but I thought it would be pretty cool to show up to some, you know, drag events wearing, you know, some customized tall socks. That would be good. And anybody wondering, it was uh, Tyler's Avidil. So, um, but, I mean, the name RC Drag Talk should give it away. It should. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, hey, it's it's hot, and I'm dealing with a lot. Right now, so. <laughs> Got a lot on my plate, man. <laughs> Speaking of things you're dealing with, uh, SCX 10.3 update. So SCX 10.3 update. Um, it looks super scale. I'm so happy I decided to ditch the factory tires and I went with the standard, the old school, whatever you want to call them, the original 1.9 Nitto trail grapplers. Uh, They're not as wide as the ones that come in the uh, the kit which aided in one of my issues that I have but I guess more people are still having that issue too. I don't know if they're having this issue when they run the stock tire and wheel combo, or if it's like an aftermarket thing, but um, they still contact the fenders. So that's part of the reason why I guess James Knight came out with the 3D printed fenders 
um, to give a little more clearance. Uh, that those tires being skinnier definitely helped with that issue because I was kind of having that too. Um, I also did internal limiters inside the shocks to kind of keep it from bottoming out. So I think I put like three sixteens. I took clear. Um, uh, what is it like PVC tubing and just cut it, put it inside the shock, so that way now it's an internal bump stop. Um, but yeah, so that's one thing. Um, I finally got it out on the rocks. Um, if you're following my personal Instagram, um, you would have saw that I had it out on the rocks this weekend, uh, and I learned within that 45 minutes to an hour of running it that that car needs gearing. Um, I guess, you know, the first fallback of switching over from portal axles to non-portal axles is they did design some gear reduction in the portal axles. So that's why in the kit, the transmission comes with the gearing to keep it one-to-one. Now, in the manual, they do say to swap it over, I believe it's like a 27 and a don't quote me, like an 18 or something like that. I just know there are two different size gears when you put them inside the transmission instead of the two 21 and 21 that match up. Um, and it's supposed to give it uh, more gearing. If I think the book said like 1.7 to 1 or something like that, almost a 2 to 1 uh, ratio. Uh, I, the car definitely needs that. Uh, even running a uh, 2700 kV motor and I even dropped a pinion down to a 12, mainly because that's all I had at the time I was assembling everything. Um, it just needs more gearing. I don't really have that nice low-end crawlability with it. It wants to kind of do everything fast, almost like you know you did like a hemi swap or something. Um, it just wants to everything that it conquers. Like you have to have like wheel wheel speed because. There's just, it just doesn't have that low crawlability. And then when I was done running, I noticed that my electronics were getting a little warm. So I said, yeah, it's definitely a gear issue. So um, I guess all I can keep saying is almost like we've always preached on this show, don't try and reinvent the wheel after engineers have already figured it out. <laughs> Fair enough. But, but, but I mean, you were doing something kind of cool, though. It is fun. It is cool. Um, I like the challenge because I'm not going to say I'm like a four-wheeler expert or whatever you want to say, but I do kind of have the understanding of how the geometry with the uh, suspension you know, works. So that's why I said, you know what, I feel like I can tackle this. It'll be pretty cool. I was hoping that it was going to be a little bit more of a straightforward swap than what it is. Um but for now, you're just kind of working with what you got. So I do have to get those gears. Um, the only problem is, and I don't know if any of our listeners have come across them. I can actually, while we're talking, probably look up the uh, look up the actual part number. But um, everywhere I've looked, those gears are back ordered until August 31st. Wow, that's a while. So I don't know. If that's 100% like the COVID issue, if that's a um, mess up in you know production, or did they really sell out that that fast? Like, did they already like go through their first shipment? Because when I first, which I'm kind of kicking myself in the butt for now, but um, my when I first 
was doing this and I saw that I needed those gears, they don't give you the part number in the manual, so I started looking around online, and then I found a gear set, and I said, oh, those look like the gears. So I had texted Randall and asked, and he was even confused because he didn't know what I was talking about because at that point, nobody was putting a non-portal axle underneath the rig. So once I explained it to him, he said, yeah, you need those. Well, A-Main had them for sale, but... I said, you know what, I'm just going to see what it does. Maybe I don't need them. You know, I just want to see how the rig works. Well, I probably should have just ordered them because now they're back-ordered. Everything's on back-order right now. Like, that's, it's crazy. I mean, like, tons and tons and tons of stuff's on back-order. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a little frustrating. You try Horizon Direct or no? Horizon Direct is the same thing. If you enter, which I'm looking for right now, um, if you enter that part number in anything, it's not there. Hmm. You know what you should do? You should post it on a Facebook group and just raise absolute hell about it because that'll fix it. <laughs> no, I don't roll that way. <laughs> you don't? I thought that no, goes hand in sorry. hand with RC stuff. I guess not. No. Nah, Maybe with the maybe that's how people think it goes, but that's not how you handle the situation. Yeah. Like, see, what people need to realize is, like I said, I know what I'm getting myself into. I chose not to run portal axles, which means I need gearing somehow. And the way this transmission is designed, the there is a spot in the transmission for you to change the gearing to give it a more lower gear ratio. The problem is those gears that I need are just not available. So I just have to wait. It's, you know, that's just the name of the game. If I would have chose to put the portal axles underneath it, I probably wouldn't have an issue. True. But I'm still trying to pull up the... Uh... Here it is. Axial SCX-10-3 metal input gear set. eleven ninety nine. The... It's product AXI two three two zero three three, arriving Monday, August thirty first, according to Amin. Axial AXI what? Two three two zero three three. Now, if you find them available and let me know, then two three two zero three three, correct? Two three two zero three three. I'm not seeing anything yet. Nope. I think but you're you know out what? of luck for now. Yep. Yep. So that's just the way it is. So oh well. Uh, but some good news is I tuned in to that Axial Live this morning while I was working, um, and they were talking about. Um, you know, a little bit of everything, Badlands, everything that's going on, uh, the latest releases and all that. And uh, one of the questions one of the people had in the comment section was, has the, the guest, which I, I'm drawing a blank what his last name was, but I know his first name was Justin. Um, I think he's like an off-road, I want to say like rally car driver kind of thing, because I don't think he was a... At least the car in the background did not look like a U4 rig. But um, he, they asked him if he's driven certain models of the Axial cars, and he said he hasn't. And Randall said he brought both of his 10.3s, 
And he said, well, I guess I'll just give you guys a little teaser. I won't show you. But he goes, in the manual, it's no secret that the, that it said if you're running a non-portal axle that you need this, the, uh, this gear set. Well, he goes, we have a prototype of that non-portal axle in one of the SCX-10.3s, so maybe he'll get to test both of them and see what he likes better. So I guess good news is they are working on the release of the non-portal kit. The only question I'm going to have is, does this mean we're going to see also some optional gear sets for the axle? Because I think if you could do the gears in the transmission, drop the pinion down to an 11, because that's the lowest it'll go due to the style of motor mount, and then if you could put like underdrives in the rear or even underdrives in both axles, I think you could get that thing to a super low, you know, crawlability, I guess, standpoint or setup. And I think it would it would work really well because the one thing I do got to say, which I didn't get to during this whole, I guess, test run, is I personally love, and I don't know if that's just the way mine set up, because I'm not running portals, but I love the predictability of how this rig performs. Now I do got to say that when it's when you're crawling, you can actually kind of see where the tipping point is. Like you can kind of just watch that it's like when everything's articulating, you're like, okay, like it seems more stable out of the box. So um, I really do like that. Uh, I like I said, I just my issue right now is just gearing. It's not bad, though. But other than that, I, I love the rig. But I guess, you know, because it has been said um, a couple times or asked of me a couple times, why did I get a 10.3 if I was going to do all this to it? I just wanted to try something different, and I like the fact that it had the forward motor mount. Now, if I kind of would have known all this to begin with, I almost would have been better off getting the body and the interior kit and just mounting it on a 10-2. Yeah, I could see that. Because in my standpoint, I'm not uh, the only thing I have on there, which is not completely hooked up, is the dig. Um, I'm not using the two-speed. I'm not running the portals. So therefore, some of the key attributes of this rig are eliminated, I could have probably achieved the same look if I would have just went with a 10-2. The only thing I do really like about it is there's something about staring at a rig with an offset front axle that just screams that is that, that scale. That is a, you know, dead-on like that. You could fool somebody that that's a real rig. Um... That I think is pretty cool, and I, I know that's a lot to say just you know to have, you know, an offset axle, but I think it's pretty cool. No, I think so too. It does. It adds a lot to the look, definitely. So, mm -hmm. but yeah, so that's about it. Um, yeah, that's all I got. That's all. <laughs> that's my my latest and greatest with my with my testing of the ten three, but. I know I believe I touched base on this on the last episode. 
and hopefully I can get something going before this weekend or by Saturday. I'd like to do a little video going over the conversion process. So if somebody wants to go through the same stuff that I'm doing, um, they can kind of see what I had to go through. Um, but you'll be in the same boat I'm in, and you'll be needing gears. But at least it'll be something that you know gives a, I guess, like a, a base point on where to go. Yeah, I mean that'll be helpful there. I don't know. I think it's, I, I think once you get around your gearing issue, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, and the thing's still going to handle differently than a ten two. I mean, it's not going to be the same driving experience just because so much is different on it. Yeah, so like I said, the main difference is definitely the um, the motor forward aspect of it. I think it's pretty cool because it gives it a different weight bias. And the other thing I'm doing, which I, like I said, with this car being set up the way it is, everybody, I guess you get two options. You can run a battery on the one slider on the driver's side, or you can run the battery just like at the back of... I guess you can say the skid plate where where the frame starts to come up. That's where I put mine just because I figured it was a little bit more even weight versus having like let's say you put a you know even a twenty two hundred on the, uh, the the skid on or whatever you want to call it the belly pan rock slider area on the driver's side. I still think that was going to create too much weight on that direction because you only have on the other side, your uh, receiver box. So what I did was the receiver box is on the passenger side, left the receiver in there, and I put my ESC where that auxiliary battery, or if you want to run the smaller battery, on the driver's side would be to kind of keep the weight equal. That's why I thought if I put the battery horizontal like it's designed in the back right there, I thought it would give it the ultimate weight, I guess, uh, ratio. And well, how was it once you drove it that way? Well, that way, no. That like I said, that is great. All of that is awesome. It's just right now, it's getting the crawlability, um, the weight bias. The is other good, though, you're happy with that. Yes, I am happy with the rig overall. I'm still like the quality of the products are awesome. Um, it definitely they're injected. Um, the injection molding parts feel way different than anything in the past. So um, that's a big plus. And I, it's just, to me, what blows my mind, it, like we've always said, is, is how well they engineered this because there's really no room for error with any of the parts. So everything is designed to fit and clear perfectly. Yeah. So, um, like I said, the Panhard bar is designed to fit up in this little channel, so it's supposed to, you know, under compression, so that way it doesn't hit anything. Um, the way that the steering servo is set up, you have to use one of their servo arms because it's so skinny that it won't hit anything, and it just clears everything. I mean, like, like I said, the amount of engineering that had to go into this, unreal. Yeah, oh, I could only imagine. So, um, but yeah, that's really it. Other than that, like I said, I, I'm happy with it. I just, I just need to, you know, dial in a few more, um, op or issues with it, and then it should be, it should be a contender. 
Nice, right on. Very good. So, um, yeah. Did you want to uh, start diving into some of the questions? Yeah. I think we should. We can do that. All right. Um, I will go ahead and just start reading them. So our first one comes from Scooter Scott. If you could have anybody you ever or anybody you ever wanted for your scale crawler slash trail rig, what would it be? Hmm. That's like probably one of the hardest questions you could ever try to answer. Like that's really difficult. I don't know. Adam probably knows right off the top of his head, and I'm guessing it's a Chevy something. Well, I've always said it in the past. I'd like to replicate my real Chevy, which I have a platform to kind of start. Um, it needs some work. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to see, like, a 90s Chevy. Um, that would be awesome. Uh, the other thing, and I know it's just my only gripe, is I'd like to see a little bit more, I guess, scaled out. Um, like, if they could do – like if. I don't know if it's like Axial or whoever designed that JL body, but if they could put that kind of detail into a um, Gladiator, oh, yeah. I think that would be, that would be amazing. Yeah, that would look really, really good. That would be really Especially cool. with all the vents and like the wiper cowl and everything. I mean, like, yeah, that would be pretty rad. Yeah. You know, the only thing that's really missing, which would be kind of cool, and maybe this can kind of be my answer, would be the JL body, but have a removable hard top on it still. And then you can put a soft top on it, like you could the old 2012 JKU. I mm-hmm. think that'd be that would be my thing. Yeah, they there was a guy who uh, who cut off the top. I mean, I guess if you're really careful... And you knew how to do the bend score or the score and bend method really well. Uh, you probably could score it well enough to take off the top and then be able to put it back on. I you just would have to be really good at making your cuts. I did that with a proline body years and years and years ago when we first got into this. I made a fast back soft top for it and then uh, had a hard top that went on it too. And I just very carefully cut the top off. And then I shoegooed little pieces of Lexan to the sides and then the top and had some Velcro on there. And then that's what fastened the uh, hard top and the soft top to it. But it was a pain. I mean, like, sewing isn't my strong point. Like, I, I know how to do it for the most part, but I'm not, like, super awesome at it or anything. And so I had taken some fabric and put like a vinyl window in it and stuff and i really you know kind of tried my best on it and it turned out pretty good but it just uh i don't know it's it's not like an easy thing unless you have you know all the right tools to do it so i was kind of lucky enough to have all that sitting here but that was a fun project yeah sewing um just go down that rabbit hole real quick uh, my mom has a sewing machine, so anytime I want to do any of that stuff, I go over there and bug her to use it. Um, it's not, let's say, it, it's, it is an art. You have to know how to use it um, because you're actually designing, or not designing, but you're guiding that 
stitch line to be straight. So like if you don't hold the fabric just right, and if you're getting to go too fast, like it could be all cattywampus and all over the place. So there is an art to it. Oh yeah, it's really easy for that to go wrong in a hurry. <laughs> but yep, um, Travis, what about you? What body would you like to see? Still want to see more full size truck bodies, like true proper scale ones. I understand like the wheelbases don't really allow for it right now, but I think it won't be too long in the near future that we will have the capability to make sort of a scale, like larger size vehicle. And mm -hmm. I would like to see bodies come along with that capability. A bit of a pipe dream, but that's I I really always hated someone showing up with a Dodge Ram body that's smaller than a than any Jeep body they've got on their, yeah, that, on their rig. That is tough. No, I, I mean, it's just one I, of those things. Yeah, no, I... the immersion for me immediately. Yeah, I can agree with that 100%. Um, it's definitely, you know, something that... It is always kind of interesting. I know we did touch base on this last week. Um, like I said, if I pull out my... Um, uh, to me, a Clodbuster body, Chevy, that thing is tiny compared to, like, so when you pull up next to, like, for instance, if I was to pull that thing out and put it next to the 10.3, it would make that Jeep look like it's, like, two times bigger than that truck. And you'd be like, well, now that Jeep looks ginormous. It needs to be smaller, whereas in reality, that Chevy body needs to be bigger. Right. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. That's just something that's always really frustrated me. Like, obviously, I understand the body would be huge. The rig would have to be quite a bit bigger, but at, at scale. <laughs> yeah. That's what matters to me at that point. I think that's that's why I want that. And it'd be kind of cool to. It's obviously like I, I understand. you don't see a lot of functional like not a lot of people are taking you know their their F one fifties crawling and trailing like that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that obviously scaling in this sort of sect of the hobby is evolving into a little bit more than just that. So it would be nice to be able to see things like if we ever get into like pre-runner style builds well it would be nice if we could actually have the equipment and accessories to properly accommodate that obviously like if you're building something like that the intention is not for it to be on the trail on the rocks so very true that's my thought and having longer wheelbase rigs is actually pretty fun you know like i mean just change it around it's it's not like a big deal just you know, lengthen the wheelbase and run a longer truck body. It's supposed to be longer, and it's going to handle accordingly. And I think that's just kind of the, I don't know, I think that's a good way of doing it. Well, I'm just going to throw this yeah. out there because I kind of was thinking about this as you were talking about changing the wheelbase. It's almost like we, I don't know if coddled's the right word, but like it's like we've almost like, went backwards in a way when it comes to the scale RC trail truck scene. Uh, when I first got into this, if you wanted any body, you tried to get the closest wheelbase, and then you adjusted your links accordingly, or you made your own or whatever, to get it to work. Like, that was just how it was, because there, there weren't, you know, Proline wasn't catering to the crawling community. They just made what they call the monster truck bodies. So... Now, everything's being designed around that magical 12.3 wheelbase. It's taken all of, like I guess, the 
creativity or forcing the consumer to actually go out and adjust things or make it work and whatnot. So I think it's kind of like that's what I'm saying. It almost like coddled because now you know a lot of these people don't know what it's like to have to you know adjust your own links or make your own links. So that way, like it, everything works. Um, you know, a prime example with my 10.3, I didn't. Since I'm running basically an SCX 10.2 style um, axle combo, the front axle, the tie rod, or no, the tie rod didn't work. The drag link worked, but the tie rod didn't work from the kit. So I had to make my own. I was just one of those people that are like, I like things to look like it was meant to be there. So I just got stainless steel 316th rod and made my own link so it would blend in with the um, with the kit links. But that was a, that's an art that's like lost because, I mean, people don't really go out and say, yeah, I'm going to make my own link so that way I can make this body fit this chassis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I suppose in a way we could have removed that creative element from building. It seems like just most people have kind of forgotten about that now, I suppose, and are moving on to keeping it within this standardized length, which is a bummer, exactly. but I also understand that it's an endeavor. Exactly. See, and I guess you explained it a little better than I did. It's... I get it. I get why there's, you know, like the twelve three is the magical one because, you know, I believe I if I'm not mistaken, you guys can correct me, but I believe the element is it a twelve three, the um T R X four is it a twelve three, Axial is it a twelve three? I mean it's just your popular I even think Red Cat's at a twelve three. All the popular brands are set at, you know, a twelve three. That's like the magical wheelbase. So um, as like an industry standard, I get it because it makes it easier for cons- or for companies um, to actually come out with a product that'll move. Because you know, I guess they're freaking out that if oh okay, if this body doesn't fit, then it's only going to sell, you know, to a third of the you know crawler community because they're the only ones who want to adjust anything. Whereas if they make something that's a direct swap, now you got your first person that just got into the hobby, they can be at the hobby store and say, oh look, that body looks cool, and they go, oh yeah, it's going to work with this car too, so they go, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. But, um, let's see, our next question from Chris Trudeau. So, um, he says, Trudeau, you're welcome, Adam. <laughs> Junkyard builds. How much stuff is in the pile, and from that stuff, is there enough to build a rig? Perhaps a build challenge for Jay, Adam, and perhaps Travis. Nah, I'm out. <laughs> or perhaps for listeners struggling with build ideas, build a deck dedicated, excuse me, loaner to encourage new participation. Limited budget for buying anything quote-unquote new, but more so, is there enough spare parts to have a complete rig? Jay, you want to tackle this first? Mm. You want me to answer first? I did a spare parts build and have long since sold it, so I really don't have much sitting around here. Everything I've got at the moment is mostly just like parts trees and some skids and stuff and that's really about it i had done kind of a ground up parts build on a uh it was that icon uh scx 10 to 
um, Toyota 4Runner that I had done, the Icon Vehicle Dynamics one. It had the black, yellow, and white wrap mm -hmm. on it. Um, mm -hmm. God, I bet I sold that probably two years ago at least. So, yeah, it's been a while. So, no, lately it's just if I'm going to build something, I just order up a builder's kit and get to cracking on it. I feel you. Yeah, makes sense. I don't have any spare parts. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I probably have about like 95% of parts to make a rig um, from the graveyard. Um, when, when I'm done with it, it might not be the most like ideal rig just because like it's a lot of mis mismatched parts. Like I've got some axle housings from the first gen SCX10. I actually surprisingly have a lot because, like I said, back then you had to modify things to make it work. Well, you didn't have to, but you modified a lot of parts to make it work better. Um, I.e., the you know back then having overdrives was like the cool, like not the coolest thing, but the best thing you could do to make your car work better. You put overdrive in the front, and if you were really extreme, you put underdrive in the rear, and that would create such a different. Um, gear mesh that you would have better turning, it would crawl better because the front's spinning faster so it wants to pull the front end down, you know. But, so I actually have a ton of stock gear sets laying around because I pulled so many of them out of the front of rigs that I probably, like, have enough to do that. I might have one or two Gen 1 housing still laying around. Um, I have one set of SCX-10-2 housings laying around. I believe I have one. I don't know if it was a... I don't know what it came out of, but I think I have one transmission. I know I definitely have a transmission housing. I have a set of frame rails. They're bent. I originally bought them off of somebody on Facebook. Um, they're not super bent, but... Uh, they are bent. Um, I originally bought them because at one point I thought about making bumpers and like sliders and stuff, and I was going to use that as like a jig to make stuff. Uh, just that was like one of those things. It was like I thought it was a great idea at the time, but then I said eh, I don't feel like turning this into a job. So frame rails I have. Um, I'd probably just have to buy like the little things, like you know, if I wanted something that you know, if I was going to build like let's say a performance rig out of junkyard parts, I'd probably have to buy stuff like electronics, maybe tires and wheels, and that'd be it. Um, but then it's going to be the little stuff that'll nickel and dime you. Like, I'll probably need axle shafts and, you know, stuff like that, but uh, a bearing kit maybe. Um, but, yeah, I probably could do it. Um, will I? I don't know. <laughs> It's it's that's, a lot of work because it's I don't like building that way just because it's frustrating because you get like ninety percent done and you're like crap I missing hexes or something stupid so I just I don't know I don't really prefer doing it that way. Well, see that's the other thing that's yeah. pretty funny is I do have like even down to that stuff I have a lot of because like I said I used to play around with a lot like it, the creativity was there more when you had the Gen One because you you were trying to always tweak things to make it work better. Once like the two came out and it became kind of like a out of the box decent crawler, 
that creativity or I guess the drive to want to modify anything kind of like went away because you didn't really have to do it. So like I used to mess around with like if you needed just a little bit more, you know, um, what is it, uh, track width, I would do my go-to was the plastic Traxxas snap-on, I call them snap-on because that's how they fit, the snap-on wheel hexes where you push them on and they kind of like, mm-hmm. um, the plastic would grab the the cross, you know, whatever you call it, the cross pin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd ha- I have a handful of wheel hexes laying around because a couple of my rigs are running that way. So I'd take off, you know, the factory ones, put those on. So, yeah, so I have a lot of little stuff, um, which is kind of why that box goes with me when I go, like, let's say, Axial Fest. So that way I know I have a lot of parts to fix anything that breaks. Yeah, I kind of have, like, my standard little thing of parts that I take everywhere just in case. But now I have two because I've got an element one. Then there's, like, the Axial Miscellaneous one that I pack around for my friends and stuff. So. Yeah. I guess the other part of that question about what about building like a low budget thing to get people involved, it that's kind of like a double edged sword because I remember when um, Revis uh, approached Elio about that and supplied a bone stock RTR. The problem is you can loan it out, let someone get into it, it's great, but you got one, you got really one issue that comes with it you not everybody treats everything the same and if you're giving it to a brand new crawler who's never crawled a day in their life before they you know they don't know the limits of the rig they don't know you know maybe they don't know how to spot lines when they're you know going up obstacles and then things break and then it's like it's like so then you kind of go do that weird song and dance where you know sometimes they kind of go oh shoot i broke it you know i'm i need to fix it now and then you get the other ones going well you lent it out to me like you know like can you fix it and it's like you know so that's the only issue i see with doing like a loaner rig kind of thing cuz i kind of saw that with the bone stock rig when that was supposed to be the loaner um but yeah I've done the loner thing. Uh, we did that with some of our uh, fleet that we had last summer for a boys and girls club event, and I think parts bill was about seventy-five bucks after that afternoon. <laughs> so it can get expensive real quick. Oh yeah. What do we got next, Trav? What's next question? All right, so. I'm just going to say it's either Jerome or Jeremy. I apologize, but I do not want to butcher your name, so I'm not even going to attempt the rest of it. But uh, his question was, so I am headed on an extended work trip. I'm thinking a good way to keep me from going crazy is making myself a small little crawling area. Which 124th-ish scale crawler do you think I should look at for this sort of thing? Kind of just one choice, isn't there? Uh, there's two is choices, it? but yeah. Well, sorta, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Is the Proline Ambush even still available? No, uh-uh. 
Okay, well then, yeah, then I would say then it's just the Axial SCX24. Or you can go really, really little and get one of those Orlandos, but we're talking little, little, little. The the one thing that I've seen, and I don't know if it's still going in that direction, but the uh, the SCX24 actually has a pretty decent aftermarket following. So, hmm, I didn't realize that. you can get. Yeah, they have like um, I know I was pretty blown away when I was looking up at Hop Up Parts. Like they actually have uh, brass diff covers um, to give it a little more low end weight. Um, RC four wheel drive has a whole thing of wheels and tires for the twenty fourth scale. Um, I wow. mean, yeah, there's quite a bit of you know aftermarket support. I've never even looked so, at parts for those. Yeah, I didn't really either until. Um, I forget what I was looking for. I was looking for something, and it popped up. So, but yeah, I would say just Axial SCX24. I mean, it's I think it's like 99 bucks for retail. I could be wrong. Maybe like 120. But yeah, and it's it's super small, you know, and they are a trip to drive. They're they because it's you know warm drive instead of a. Um, Helical gear, I guess. Mm-hmm. It does the, I guess the the tactic when it comes to driving it is a little different because like once you start getting bound up, it really isn't going to go anywhere. So it's got a lot of like less resistance. Um, so I kind of found that out because like you'd start going up a rock and like it kind of bogs out for a second, and then once that like resistance is gone, all of a sudden it's like back to crawling just fine hmm but dude there is I a do lot remember, of stuff for these mm-hmm. I do remember that being a warm drive gear is kind of like that issue because if I'm not mistaken and I only messed around with it once um the low like low C like the night crawler was that way I think it's the I think this is based on a miniature low C crawler I do too. If I remember right. Which is cool. I mean, good way to revitalize, revitalize a uh, past platform, which is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, super cool. All right, our next question is from Aaron Long. Do any of you 3D print? If so, what printer do you use? What are some good tips Tricks and advice for a beginner like me. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks. Been enjoying the show. Thank you, Aaron. Um, I guess that question's really for me then, isn't it? So yeah. Alright, so I do a pretty decent amount of three D printing. I currently have a Prusa MK three. Um I bought it as a kit. It was an absolute nightmare to build. Don't recommend it, but it is substantially cheaper. So if you like building just anything, then I guess it's a good buy. For me, it was like 750 And I think if you don't want to build it and you want to get it as a plug-and-play when you get it, it's about 1000 for to get it pre-built, but usually longer lead times. People seem to really be liking the... Ender 3 and the Ender 3 Pro right now, which is substantially cheaper. The weird thing about the Ender is that when I got into 3D printing, the reason I didn't buy it is because the general reviews were pretty terrible, 
And then, so I, that's what steered me to spend so much more money on the Prusa. And all of a sudden, the Ender is a community favorite, and the stuff that people are cranking out with them are, I mean, it, it rivals what my Prusa can do. So it's definitely a good budget option, especially if you don't know a whole lot about it and are trying to learn. So I, whatever the issues were, I mean, it's been long enough now that I've that I've researched it that I don't really remember. But whatever the issues would have been, I guess, at the time, maybe they fixed them. I'm not sure. So, yeah, the Ender 3, good start. Um, good tips, tricks, and advice. Uh, be very patient because it is not... It's not as, like, turn it on, print, come back however many hours later. It, it's not quite like that. Not, not if you don't devote the time to it that you need to. Like, I had a lot of issues with temperature. I had a lot of issues with adhesion. Um, I print primarily in PET. However, most of the 3D printing community tends to print in PLA. Um, for me, PET requires higher temps, so I had issues there with the Prusa because their recommendations were a lot lower than they needed to be. So I, I would just say be very patient. Don't be afraid to try set you know changing settings one thing that i can tell you now is that one like you're going to have to focus on dialing in your z axis offset so that's going to be your top to bottom your depth offset there's a certain measurement because obviously the 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 print bed is zero okay so there's an offset value that you have to dial in your printer so that way there's like a resting spot so that way your print head isn't too far away from the bed or it's not too close to it digs in so that way you can lay a really good bead so that way it actually adheres the print uh, I would also recommend if you're having issues with adhesion turn your speed down quite a bit so most prints for me especially if it's something that has a lot of sharp corners and there's not a lot of like bonding material like a lot of like I print a lot of small stuff because everything I print is for crawlers so it doesn't take up a lot of surface area and tends to be either really small corners or it can be sharp corners and those are things that are prone to peeling so print stuff a lot slower I print stuff anywhere between 35% and 50% speed of what it normally should be. Does it take absolutely forever to do it? Yeah, but it's also kind of worth it to just have the print finish where otherwise it wouldn't. So there's a lot of good Facebook groups for 3D printing, so I highly recommend joining those. Join a owner's group for whatever printer you do own because chances are if you're having an issue with something, there's someone else who's had the same issue as you. Um... So I would maybe look at that. So we'll have to. I mean, we we just. It sounds like we just purchased an Ender three. So we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, we'll how see that what compares all the hype's to the about. We'll be able to kind of. Yeah. Or for our opinion on that one, so that'll be kind of cool. I'm, I'm if you do happen to buy one, or anything feel free to reach out. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a cool thing. Don't get me wrong, but it can be a huge pain if you are not patient. That's the thing. It requires a lot of patience, and some issues can be prolonging because of very simple things you may have overlooked. So, like I said, if you have, if you actually end up buying something or you're still kind of figuring it out and have questions, feel free to reach out, but there are also definitely more, uh, more in-tune people than me doing it right now. The uh, next question is from Jeremy Kim. What would be on your ultimate dream rig? 
parts, accessories, electronics, etc. Ooh, I'm building that right now. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, I'm kind of building like my dream rig at the moment, so we'll see how it goes. Um, Element-based Toyota Tacoma with the Proline metric body and a slew of Night Customs 3D printed parts on it, so... Just got the interior painted last night at about 2 a.m., so that's done. Um, got the mirrors painted, so yeah, not a whole lot left, and it's got all the stuff that is my favorite in it already, so I'm just excited. So that's that's my dream one. It'll be done soon. Nice. Yeah, I, I suppose that'll be kind of the same situation for me because... It takes me long enough to build one of these things that they pretty much end up being exactly the way I want it to be by the end. So, yep. Yeah, I'm I'm a minimalist. It doesn't take too much. Um, Adam, what do you think? Oh, that's kind of a tough one for me. Um, I mean, I would have to say, really, the ten three is close to that. If they. If Axial doesn't do it, or even if somebody aftermarket could come out with it, if there was more of a gear option for that transmission, because I do like the crawlability or the way the rig handles with that forward motor mount. It's like when you've only run the standard three-gear transmission and the way everything's set up on there, and then you drive a forward motor mount rig, it really changes everything. And I personally think the forward mount works, or I guess as far as like weight-wise, it works better. So I would love to do that. Obviously, I got rid of portals just because I'm not a fan of portals, but I would like any kind of, you know, sh- well, I'm just going to call them straight axles, um, any kind of straight axle, you know, whether that be, you know, a set of 10-2, Enduro, um Vanquish housings, whatever. That's what I'd love to do. Um, I personally like a middle of ground, middle of the road uh, KV engine, so or motor. So I put, I like the 2700. That seems to be the sweet spot. You can get just enough punch out of it to where you can get yourself out of some situations. At the same time, it's low enough, in my opinion, to where you can get some good crawlability. Um, and then like something with a strong servo, um, this one's going to be a no brainer for me. Um, the MKS HBL 550, uh, by far would be my favorite go-to servo. Um, as far as tires go, I'd have to go with something like the Proline crawlers. Those work, those work really well for me. Um, and I really like the way they look. Those are a good tire. Um. And that's really about it. To me, that would be like the ultimate rig. So, I mean, it doesn't even have to be a 10-3. I mean, because I, mean, I haven't, you know, gotten to drive one yet. But, like, even the v- the VS4 10 Pro, which I believe is a forward mount, um, I haven't driven that. So, I don't know how that reacts. So, but something along those lines would be, like, the ultimate car for me. Sweet. Um, next question is from Eric Warren. 
With comp season finally starting up in a few weeks, what do you prefer? Super scale challenges that are perfect sized for the rigs or more unrealistic challenges that most rigs could still conquer regardless of how it's scored or timed? I always made courses to where they were a challenge. <laughs> like They were borderline difficult, I would say, but doable still. You just had to... You know, be good at problem solving and look for different ways to accomplish the same task, you know, getting through a certain gate. So, you know, there'd be a lot of decision-making skills and stuff like that involved when I would do stuff like that. But normally just, I don't know, I wanted to make it a challenge and have it showcase the driver's skill mostly. Yep. I may have, I don't know. I really only set up one event, and that was when we did the cantina or scale on the con um, during the full-size um, cantina on the con um, about, I want to say, three years ago now. Um, what I like to do when I'm setting up a course, uh, I try to make it kind of like op like you have options. Um I try to make it so, like, okay, in this section between these two gates, you have this really tricky, you know, line that's doable, it's capable, but if you are frustrated or you just don't think you can do it, you know, the gate was just wide enough where you can just miss it and continue going down the trail. Um, that's kind of how I've always set it up. I always just thought that, you know, that'll keep bottlenecking from happening, because I've been to a handful of events where it's almost like they just threw gates down and nobody ever really drove it because all of a sudden you get to this one spot and now you got like 50 people lined up because <laughs> they're waiting on one person trying to get over the obstacle. There was a trail at Axial Fest that Travis and I wanted to do really, really bad. And every time we went down and looked, it was just super bottlenecked. It was down by the river. It was like year F, if I remember right. But yeah, it was uh, that was an Harley one. We never did get to drive that thing either. It sucked. No, yeah. it was trail. I think it was trail B, and we didn't get to do it until Sunday when they were picking it up. Yeah, most of the markers were gone, actually, weren't they? Yeah, we had to find our own way through it. We didn't get lost, though. What We ended up on that bridge in the back of the campground, and it, it was fun. Like, it was still a really good time. Yeah. We got as far as we could. Yeah. Nope, it was good stuff. All right. So, Nicholas Collender. So, he actually has four questions, so I'll just ask each one individually. So, uh, his first question is, new products you would like to see in crawling? Hmm. I don't know. We're we're just kind of making all the stuff that we want to see right now. So I don't know. Pretty much, we're, we're trying um, to accomplish that the best we can. We think of something and we try and figure out a way to make that part, have it sourced, and yeah. So I don't know. There's nothing that I'm like super like wishing was there and isn't. You know, like. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that, but I mean, there are some, I guess you can say, scale parts that I think would be cool. Like, people could make them in the, you know, uh, either whether it's like something like Knight Customs does or something like an actual man manufacturer can do. 
Um, I know a handful of guys who want that bypass shock look. So what they've done is they've printed a sleeve that's a tight fitting, goes right around the shock, and it's got all the bypass tubes on it. Um, I think with some of the, you know, machine work and whatnot and the machining available, someone could make an aluminum scale-looking bypass shock. Travis and I talked about making that a long, long time ago. Remember that? No, I don't. You don't? It was way, way back. I was I talking that. about having a sleeve that just, you take the preload collar off and the sleeve just slips right over the shock body and it's got all the reservoirs and stuff on it. I don't remember that, but uh, per this conversation, I'll keep it was It was a long, long time ago because I asked James Knight about it too. Ah, Gotcha. There's a lot of demand for something like that, though. I mean, I, I think Adam's onto something there. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm not the I'm not the only one. Um, I think Judd Rummage wanted it one time. I think Chris Prestwood printed him a set, you know, and said, "I don't even know if these are gonna work. Let me know." Um, there's a guy up at WFO. Um, I, when we were picking up Michelle's Jeep last Friday. We were talking with him, and he said one of the guys in the machine shop is such like a – he geeks out about all this stuff, and he's got a 3D printer. He said he wanted bypass shocks, and that's what he did. He 3D printed a sleeve, put it on there. So I'm not the first to say it. You know, I'm just saying on the show, I think that, like, you know, that could be, you know, an area that somebody could probably make a decent, you know, market on if they came up with it. I mean, come on. Um, Boom Racing came out with fun- – well, I think they're functional – but functional um, reservoir shocks. Oh yeah, um, Hot Racing did too. I have I have yeah, yet so to I see mean, him in person, but it would be interesting. Yeah. So, like I said, you know, stuff like that. I mean, because you know, on the one-to-one rigs, a lot of people, you know, they run reservoir shocks or on the coilovers, they got the reservoir and stuff. So it's like if you could actually have something where like that scale details a little bit more in there, I think that'd be cool. Um, I'd also, I think the other area, which I just probably just due to the size, I don't see it ever happening, but um, maybe a winch that looks like a winch that's stronger than what they are. I mean, I know the number one thing that a lot of people, like if you want like a performance winch, you're going to go with a servo winch, and you could probably pipe it through a faux winch on the front bumper so it looks like it's, you know, doing everything, but in all realisticness, it's just for show. Right. Um, Because I just don't see the, you know, the strength there on, like, let's say, like, the RC4 drive worn winch. I mean, like, yeah, it works, but if you put it toe-to-toe against some of these uh, servo winches, it's going to lose every time. I think what Ty did on his, he had a, I think it's KMS is the name of the servo winch that he has. He has one of those, and he took and he used a old RC four wheel drive winch. It wasn't working anymore. And he wrapped line around the drum and everything. And then he just had the winch line from the servo winch passing through it. So it looked like it worked. And that was a pretty cool setup actually. Yeah, that's, that's pretty common. Um, I did that on, I think it was the build I did for Axiofs 2017. I got a, um, I don't, know, I don't think it was 3D printed. It was some sort of a modeled 
winch. I don't know where it came from, um, but I just put the winch line through the center. So, um, and actually, because that one was all plastic, I just took some winch line and wrapped it, glued it onto the drum portion of the fake winch, so it looked like that was actually doing something, but it wasn't. See, I didn't tell you anything new. You already knew about that years ago. Well, that's because Ty's been in this probably, I don't know how longer than I have, but he's been around as long as I can remember. I think he got into this when the honcho first came out, back when it was green. Mm-hmm. So whenever that was, I think that was his first rig. So I don't know. That was way before my time, so I have no idea. So, but um, what do you got? I think that. Oh, I was just gonna say I think that's really about it as far as like parts that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. I mean, IFS has been crossed off the list, like a, a working IFS, something that works. Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't even really know. I mean. I don't want to see a multiple speed transmission, you know, like a real car would have. Um, I would like to see more gear options for some of these more complex transmissions, but that's about it. I really can't think anything that, you know, would be super groundbreaking that I want to see right now. I don't know. There'll, there'll be Working something. Disc breaks. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, I I don't see it happening. Little but cable actuated just... calipers. <laughs> I was just trying to be funny. Our nitro buggies have disc brakes. So, I mean, I know it can be done. Should it be done? No. No. That's what drag. <laughs> that's what drag drag brakes for. You're just asking to have more parts that can. More things that can fail is all you're asking for by doing something like that. <laughs> exactly. Um, his next question was emergence of scale racing, not just rock racing. Hmm. Skip. So, what? like, I don't, like, I don't, I mean, that already kind of exists if you think about it. I mean, you so, got rally, you got everything, don't you? Exactly. It's already all kind of covered. I mean, you got, like Jay said, rally cars. You got, you know, buggies. You got trophy trucks. Um, the drift guys are super scale. Yeah. So, I mean, I we need to have really a good, else. like, drift builder on here sometime to just talk about that. Because those guys go to some pretty crazy lengths that even, like, some of the scale guys don't do. Like, I just saw Corey Chung make pop-up headlights on his current build that are actuated with the servo like just way too cool nice we should have him on sometime because that's like kind of a scale rc area that we really haven't even like tapped yet and talked about very true because what's funny is before um the drag racing got you know a little more popular i do know i or was safe to say at that time i think the drift guys were the second closest to most scale after the trail truck guys yeah i agree and the rally guys are pretty scale too like with stage rally and stuff their cars are pretty ridiculous also and they're like that's expanded now into like dakar trucks and stuff so that's cool 
I don't know. Yeah, makes sense. I'd like to see... It, it won't happen because it's already like blown right past that exit, but having... Uh, I was kind of hoping for a little bit there that drag racing would be kept kind of more scale and stuff, but nah, it's gone. It's gone the way of normal RC car racing in like a year's time. So yeah, even less than that, but I think it'll last a lot longer. Oh yeah, definitely. And it does seem like maybe there's a, initially thought does seem like there's a lot of new people get involved in drag racing. Is interesting that that is like mm-hmm. the clincher, like the drag racing has that that much of an appeal, you know, to people. It's just, I don't know. It was just kind of surprising. It's just so easy to get. It's yeah, it's just easy to get into. You know, I mean, we could get into why, but I mean, it's it's just it's really friendly for people to just jump in and try. Yeah, exactly. Not a lot of RC. Like that. And it, um, oh, go ahead. no, I'm, I'm done. Oh, okay. Sorry. All right. Uh, his next question: most enjoyable crawling experience? Axial fast. Yeah. Pretty much. Honestly, I mean, for me at least. Yeah, that was, that was where I had the most fun, especially over not only one day but like three days. Yeah, that's a tough one. Hard to beat that experience. Really. Exactly. Maybe, maybe like by the fire or something will be kind of like that. But I, I mean, since I've been to Axial Fest, nothing's really compared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Something like, um, yeah, Axial Fest is always fun. Um, I, that's probably why this year is bumming me out worse than any other year is the fact that I had to cut last year short, which I haven't had to do at any other Axial Fest I've gone to, and you know, so I was like looking forward. To this year, and now that it's been postponed another year, it's like ugh, the suspense is that much, you know, growing that much more. Yeah. So. Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe by fall things will be back to normal, and it'll, you know, you get to do crawl for a cure and all that stuff. So. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll burst everybody's bubble. I have a uh, rumor is crawl for cure is not happening. They're just gonna kind of play it safe and not go through oh. all the trouble. I think so. Um, Honestly, it's not a bad decision. Probably. I mean, I know that's not what anybody wants to hear, but to go to all that work and expense and everything to plan on having it and then have it not work out, it's probably just easier to just reschedule it. Yeah, I mean it's it's far enough in the year. Like they they picked up. I mean, their months always been October, um, so that I don't see is really the issue. I think it's more of it's at that cusp of fall starting to happen again. So what's going to happen? Are they going to try and say that everything's flaring up again and they're going to go through this mad shut the state down again, or? You know, nobody knows what's going to happen, so I think that's why. Yeah, understandable. Unfortunate, but but understandable. I could be wrong, but that's the rumor. I don't want to spread rumors, but that is what I've, you know, heard. Hmm. But, um, yeah. Shoot. Well. Which looks like, I was talking to Brandon Catton about this, 
I believe Proline by the Fire might be the only official West Coast event if it still happens, you know, because the worst thing I could ever see is like if something happens again and they have to shut down it again. Yeah. Um, that would be like a total, you know, nail in the coffin to the entire West Coast uh, crawler um, event schedule. Because like every single event that has been scheduled for 2020 has been canceled or postponed. Yeah. Shoot. So, yep. Oh, I learned something. Uh, I got a bottle of blackwash <laughs> the other day, and I blackwashed a fuel cell and that motor in the Tacoma I'm building. That is some interesting stuff. It, uh, I think I was using too small and too fine a brush. I think I needed more, like a larger style, softer brush to make it work good. But that stuff is pretty darn cool, and it ages stuff really quickly. Like it, it looks cool. So I don't know. That's something that people, if they're bored and looking for something to do, you can pick up a jar of that stuff on amazon for i don't know it was like 11 bucks or something like that so it was kind of neat fun to play with learn about nice yeah it is nice that's why i said it the uh, last question he asks is how much you don't miss racing (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i don't know if it's that per se um I miss racing. This has been... I mean, I miss racing, too. This, however, has been an opportunity to force myself to try different sects of the hobby that I otherwise probably would not have de- like dove into. So it's I've given myself new opportunities to have fun in different places. And it took me too long to give myself that opportunity so I, I'm excited for racing to come back um, I, I want to be racing when it comes back I'm going to wait till it is okay for us to race and then I will be doing it um, I don't really I mean like you know obviously for my show it's been difficult because not much racing is happening not really anything at all so there's not a whole lot to talk about so we've kind of gone on to other things and it's like okay well it's not because i don't care about racing anymore it's just you know what is there to talk about the only thing that's really changed is that i've just i've seen the absolute worst the community can be through all of this so (laughs) for that i haven't wanted to pay a whole lot of attention to it so with that yeah i mean when, when it's back yeah i'm game but until then, I'm going to enjoy drag racing. <laughs> yeah. And it's really what it comes down to. They really have, um, I don't know, it seems like the racing side, they're really pushing hard to get things going again. I'm seeing events being planned and everything else. So it's, I don't know, that's that's bold. I, I don't know if I'm that brave to where I would go through all of yeah. that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to comment on any of it, but... All, they're they're trying all they all that they're trying to do is basically show the state that they're a motorsport, um, which it's not. not. So, <laughs> I, not at all. Yeah, <laughs> not even close. 
No, the only reason motorsports are allowed to go right now is because it's pretty easy to social distance when everyone is in their own vehicles. Yeah, exactly. Uh, we can't do that with us. Yeah, our you're all in the driver's yeah, stand, bunch of people and not stand, cornering and everything else. Yeah, I don't, I don't care how much the distance is between people in the driver's stand. You still have to go up and down the same set of stairs. Yeah, touching the same rail. Still go on the- and on, what are you going to do? Cut, cut yeah. all the heats and mains in half so everybody can have their six foot in between them. I mean, that's not going to work. Yeah. What, you know, look, I understand that people want great stuff, but it's like like, common sense has escaped a lot of people. You can tell me that I'm a shill for the state. You can tell me that I, you know, that I keep myself closed minded because I don't think about what this pandemic is really about and all that BS. But I mean, at the end of the day, like honestly, even if all those things are worth true, it's not worth risking to me. We can wait till the end of it. Yeah. I, I just it's it's a really simple calculation for me. I don't I have I don't make money doing this. So what incentive do I have to put myself and others at risk to do it? Yeah, exactly. I'll come back when I can. I will have just as much fun. I mean, you can argue yeah. it and get upset online and everything else as much as you want, but it doesn't change. Like people's personal beliefs don't change the facts of what's happening you know what i mean it's like you can believe whatever you want but this is still going on and there are these rules in place and you know you're not gonna change that the thing that gets me though like the only thing that no go ahead well i would say the only thing that's going to change is that people are just going to continuously disappoint themselves and get angry because things aren't happening in a way that they for some reason thought it would as far as tracks being able to open and people go racing and stuff like that so i just it's that's that's my frustration is like i you know you, you know what you're getting into here yeah so i don't understand why the outcome you got is anything besides the outcome that was perceived to be the one you're going to get it's not like it was a mystery the motorsports thing cracks me up you know like trying to get rc considered yeah i know they are that well, that's really grasping at straws but i mean like I, said, I i get it i get it totally but it's it still doesn't change like and especially it's like it's a, it's in you know, eastern parts of like for us in Washington, it's in eastern parts of the state where they have not felt the effects of all of this as I have as someone who lives in a metropolitan yeah, area. Our, con- our population so, is way more concentrated here. Yeah, and, and population density, everything. Like it's just there's more people and there's more people per said space. So obviously, yeah, my, my experience of all this is going in, in, in Seattle. It's going to be much different than someone on the east side of the state, on the other side of the mountains, that a town that has twenty thousand people in it, as opposed to my relative area of two million. Obviously, the perception is going to be different. Sure. So I get that, but it still doesn't change that you can't do it. <laughs> you can't. So do here's it. what I was. And things. Oh, go ahead. We're not too so. far away from it. Anyway, we're like two months. We're like two months from being able to. Yeah, do just again. be. Not even that. Calm down. Like, be patient don't make waves and you know i feel like things will be back to normal before you know it just you know the, what gets me yeah, no, that's the only reason i have to racing is the way the community's handled it that's it yeah no that's so it. what gets me though and this is kind of a funny thing but why why are rc guys so dead set on trying to make it something it's not like with motorsports for example it's like guys want to take rc racing and even scale stuff for that matter 
way more seriously than it really is for the sake of like public perception, you know? And it's like, I, I don't, on the outside looking in, like we all look like a bunch of nerds, you know, whether you're racing or building well, or whatever, you know, but I mean, I honestly think that's why though. It's that there's a, there's a general level of insecurity in what we yeah, do. Yeah, I think and there I'm is some embarrassment. That, no, that you're I'm just being anybody very down. true about it. But, I mean, but yeah, it's hard to explain to people what we do, no matter if we do scale crawling or drag racing or racing and stuff like that. It's not even that like that that people wouldn't think it's cool. It's that there's no real way to convey it properly to someone without making it sound as as bad as we make it sound. Yeah. So the outside looking in, that person, the way they look at it, it's 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 not a perception that is that is reassuring. It is not a perception that is that is uh, that builds confidence when you tell somebody what you do. Like you're a lot less apt to get a positive feedback out of it. Instead you just kind of get a lot of weird clarifying questions. So I think that's a big part of it. And so, like, this has been a point that I've been making a long time is because, like, as much as, like, I was kind of I, – I, I'm for growing the industry. I'm for growing the hobby. Obviously, the industry is not as healthy now as it was before. But, um, you know, I mean, like, let's say, like, a decade difference, right? But um, for me – I, people want to make it this big thing. People want to make it more mainstream. Obviously, they want to get more people involved, but they also want to be able to show people that, hey, I do a mainstream thing, and they can give that perception to people saying, hey, this is on TV. This is what I do, and they'll go, oh, that's cool. That's what you do, as opposed to you trying to sit there and explain it. If, if you haven't met people on RC yet, we're all kind of a, a strange bunch. Most of us are kind of introverts, and and <laughs> you know sometimes we lack a little bit in social skills. So for us, when we have to convey this to someone that isn't within, that doesn't speak the same language as us, it's really hard to convey the point. It's really hard to convey the point. So. My thing is like, okay, do we want to make it this big thing, or can can't we just be happy with the way things are? Why can't we just be happy with the little niche we have? You know, I mean, like scale crawling. Like I said, this is this is not really an issue in scale crawling, in my opinion. Obviously, people want to make it a bigger deal than it is, but chances are the people who do that probably did not come from the one-to-one world or full-size world or whatever it is that doesn't apply scale, whatever term you prefer. So. For for me, being a racer, though, that is a hard thing to escape, and so that brings a lot of negative connotation to those kinds of d- discussions. So immediately from that point, people already kind of have... It's already like a trigger subject for these people. So I think a part of like those symptoms, people complaining about maybe... Like maybe even like to, we've talked about this a lot, um, maybe more than we should have, but we've talked about this a lot where it's like, you know, people complaining on Facebook or, um, you know, people taking things super seriously on social media as far as their image or doing things at the track or attitudes, things like that. It's all to build that perception that, hey, what we do is more important than it really is. So, and, and for a lot of people, it's subconscious. They don't even know they're doing it, but it, it comes from that level of insecurity. So... And I know if, if Nick does actually listen to this episode, he'll really like that answer. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of, those are my thoughts on it. I think that's why. I really think that's why. 
Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I think that it's something that people are kind of low-key embarrassed about still, you know? And no matter how you want to spin it, like, we're still playing with trucks that aren't real, you know? <laughs> we're playing with battery or gas-operated RC cars, and uh, it's not a real motorsport. It's not going to be televised. It's well, not yeah. going to be some... You're saying that. You saying that frustrates people. You saying that frustrates people, and like that, it's the reality. It absolutely is. But I, I think that this this is again, this is part of the problem. We're like, I think, and you could even say it's like at a cultural level at this point. We're like, you know, everyone, like especially like social media, we all have to, you know, everyone on, on social media is trying to prove to their friends, prove to their following that they do something cool or they're worth a certain amount or um, they're, they're, they're trying to prove they're worth following or trying to make content that is worthy of following in order to gain new followers and things like that. And, you know, they're trying to build up this reputation and this image in this social network. So this day and age, people well outside of any kind of racing or motorsports, anything like that, hobbies, whatever, that's just a way of life for people now. So if you take... Something like this, where for RC, like all three of us, it is pretty much, if we're not working, this is kind of what our, what we're thinking about, right? You know, there's always kind of the revolving thought. That, that for people like us, it becomes like, okay, well, you subconsciously try and build that perception for people to build from the outside to show that you do something cool because that is just what, that is what social media in general has, has programmed you to do. You know, you, you post pictures, you make posts, you, you know, you say whatever you want to say or show whatever you want to show. There's a reason you're doing it, right? And it's so people can see it. Yeah, it's a bunch of people So people act that way. Very true. Yeah, basically. Yeah, that, that's, that's what a lot of it is. That's what a lot of it is. And it's, you know, people, it's a, you know, people do it as a confidence builder, you know, when people like something, you know, they... You, they do it kind of for these, you know, the, the, the positive feedback. If someone likes something, you get good com comments, good positive feedback. You know, you get the endorphin rush. But if someone says something to you that you don't like or whatever like that, I mean, people are, you know, people for a long time had to live, you know, fearing the negative, right? You know, I mean, way before civilization was ever a thing, right? You know, people had to fear the negative because that negative was going to kill them, was going to rip their heart out and eat it. You know, that's just what life was then. Now, you don't really have that danger, but you still have that fear. And that's what that's what a lot of this is built around, and that's, I think, a lot of why people act the way they do. And that's, I think, a big reason of why RC people... The louder voices, again, this kind of brings us back, I think there is a silent majority here, but the louder voices feel that more than others. Those are the ones you hear crying, so to speak. I mean, going to owner's group, you know, you can see them anywhere. Yeah. Very true. Yep. Yeah, that's my thought. Well, I've always said it, you know, like it's like human, what's the word? It's like human nature. It's, you know, even with social media, it's like 
people wouldn't be posting stuff if they deep down like it doesn't matter what anybody says people would not be posting anything on their accounts if they didn't want to see likes I mean face it people want to see likes they want to see interactions they want to have praise for stuff they're doing they you know it's just that's it's called human nature um, yeah you know so you can justify it any way you want um, at the end of the day you know people are you know they that's what they're ultimately looking for yeah, I, I think the point that I was trying to make before we get going here, because I, I did want to touch on this pretty bad. Um, I I think people could be a lot happier in this hobby if they would stop trying to make it out to be something that it's not. Like, there's nothing badass or hardcore about grown men and RC cars. There just there isn't. There's no... There's no room for tough guy in RC because it's it's laughable, you know. And dude, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm the <laughs> toughest one in RC. It's just I don't know. Like <laughs> I, I think one of the biggest things it's just like I look at it and it's such a joke. Is just how serious some of these drag racing guys are online. It's like they sound so goddamn foolish. I mean. Like, you know, uh, it, it's just, I don't know, it's ridiculous. Anybody on the outside looking in at this stuff is just going to be like, what in the hell are these people, you know? And like I said, I do think that RC is something that most of us are probably kind of low-key embarrassed about. And, you know, that that's fine. I, I am, you know, there's times where I'm embarrassed about it. Like, I'll be at a park or something and I'm crawling along and some you know old couple will walk by and oh isn't that cute and stuff you know and that doesn't really help much but you know just enjoy it for what it is it's fun and it makes you happy and don't try and make it into something it's not like it's not a motorsport it it just it isn't the same as you're not a real pilot if you fly rc planes you know there there's a big difference between you know being a commercial pilot and being an rc plane pilot not the same and it's the same way with rc racing and stuff too you know and uh i don't know i would just like to see people just take a step back and be like you know what this makes me happy. I don't really care if people look at me funny or anything like that. Um, I don't expect people to understand the enjoyment that I get out of this. It's important that I understand it and that's it, you know? And I think, uh, I think the sooner people can kind of come to terms with that, the more enjoyable the experience is going to be because you can beat your head against the wall all day long. And I guarantee you, you know, RC racing isn't going to be taking taken as seriously as Indy or NASCAR or anything like that. It just isn't. So oh, you might yeah, as well not sure. even try fighting that battle. It's just not going to happen. I think you're crushing. You know, you'd be surprised. What's that? What's that? I said, I think you're crushing all my hopes and dreams of being RC superstar. <laughs> yep. Uh, there's, there's some out there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You know, there's a, there's a few. You know, most people, if you actually explain it and, like, don't try and dress it up and make it sound weird, like, most people actually respond pretty positively when you tell them what you do. So, it is, if you're just honest and real about it, I mean, it's going to go a lot farther. I mean, you at least take something from it. Like, if you're going to, I mean, the end goal is to, what, get someone into the hobby, right? So, you at least take that percentage up from 0% to something that isn't 0%, right? So, yeah. 
stop being weird. Whenever that it. conversation starts and I'm out somewhere, I definitely always try and present it as though I'm talking to somebody that may or may, you know, hopefully is going to be interested in the hobby, you know, like at Cap Sandy and parks like that, you know, it's not uncommon to see families there and stuff and like dads and their sons and daughters and stuff will come over and talk and, you know, you kind of give them the pitch and, you know, the first thing's always, you know, how much is one of those things? And then, you know, you kind of have to defend the price a little bit um, because it does sound like a lot at first, but, you know, just treat treat it as though you're, you know, trying to pitch everybody on it and don't make it out to be something that it's not, you know. I mean, you wouldn't, like, somebody's not going to be like, oh, you know, so what are you into? And you're like, oh, I'm a race car driver. And they're, oh, really? You know, what kind of racing do you do? <laughs> RC cars. You know, it's like, that's not the same thing, you know. So it's like, be honest about what it is that you're doing. Otherwise, you know, it's just kind of foolish because no one else has to think Agreed. it's cool. As long as you think it's cool, go for it. <laughs> yeah. Agree. Well, that was the last question. Um, I think we're good to wrap. What do you think? Yeah. Nope, sounds good. Yeah, I think we're about the, that mark. All right, guys. Well, sweet. we will catch you all next time. See you next week. <laughs>